0: Well, we'll be looking just in a little bit to Psalm 51, verses 3 to 12, and so you may want to have that ready. And uh, I've got a lot of stuff here today. I got to keep track of. There we are. Keep that right in handy. Recall notices. Have you ever received one of those in the mail? Maybe your vehicle or some product you've bought. I know that we have, and some of those I have taken care of. Other ones I've read them and I thought, no, that's that's no big deal. But uh, let me share with you a few of those that I just came across this last week as I got on the Internet and Googled recall notices. The Honda uh, company, 2002-2004, recalled uh, half a million CRV and SUV models, and uh, the reason was the wiring was faulty on the headlights, the low beam, and uh, the switch has been found. It may not work, and so you probably want to get that looked at and get it fixed. It has not caused any crashes yet, but could. So if you own one of those, get it fixed. Take care of it. Spalding uh, puts together these, these basketball standards, and uh, I know some of you have those at your home. We have one right outside here, but... You bolt them to a concrete mass that's gone into the ground. And anyway, the defect is the bolts at the base may break, and your thing could fall over. And some of those are extremely heavy, and it might damage your car, might hurt the little kid that's playing basketball or the big daddy that's doing his thing out there. So if you bought one in 2009, you might want to check your Spalding basketball goal. You might have a yo-yo amusement park ride at your house. I don't know. Chance Manufacturing made these, put them out. And, and uh, there's the yo yo ride. And it, I guess it kind of goes around and around. And they say an arm in the middle has been known to kind of dislocate itself. Hasn't killed anybody, but some people have been scraped up a little bit. If you have one of those at your house, uh, you may want to get it checked. You could get hurt, or the people that come to your house could get hurt. True Value had made a, a wheelbarrow. There it is. I guess that's it. It's called the Green Thumb Twin Wheelbarrow. If you have bought one of those, there are seventeen thousand sold in two thousand and eight. You might want to get it checked. Barry, are you using one of those on your work site? No, that's kind of girly word. Okay, all right. Well, women, if you own one, you may want to get it checked because those wheels could explode. And who knows what could happen. You need to get that taken care of. Walmart. I hate to bring up Walmart, but they sold 110,000 lighted mirrors, 2005, 2006. They could be a shock hazard. There's something in it that if you touch it, you might get shocked. So ladies, if you own one of those, you might get it checked. There's another recall notice, and uh, we'll put that up there. I guess it's going to be a little fine for you to read. So I'm going to read it, and uh, you've probably gotten this on the, Internet uh, from somebody. But important recall notice. Let me read it to you. The maker of all human beings, God, is recalling all units manufactured regardless of make or year due to a serious defect in the primary and central component of the heart. This is due to a malfunction in the original prototype units, codenamed Adam and Eve resulting in the reproduction of the same defect in all subsequent units. This defect has been identified as subsequential internal non-morality, more commonly known as SIN, sin, as it is primarily expressed. Some of the symptoms include loss of direction, foul vocal emissions, amnesia of origin, lack of peace and joy, selfish or violent behavior, depression or confusion, fearfulness, idolatry, rebellion. The manufacturer, who is neither liable nor at fault for this defect, is providing factory-authorized repair and service free of charge to correct this defect. The repair technician, Jesus, has most generously offered to bear the entire burden of the staggering cost of these repairs There is no additional fee required. The number to call for repair in all areas is P-R-A-Y-E-R, prayer. Once connected, please upload your burden of sin through the repentance procedure. Next, download atonement from the repair technician Jesus into the heart component. No matter how big or small the sin defect is, Jesus will replace it with Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Please see the operating manual, the B-I-B-L-E Bible, Best Instructions Before Leaving Earth, for further details on the use of these fixes. Warning, continuing to operate the human being unit without correction voids any manufacturer warranties, Exposing the unit to dangers and problems too numerous to list and will result in the human being permanently impounded for free emergency service. Call on J E S U S. You've probably, I'm sure, got that in your email package. There is one footnote. All these other recalls that I have mentioned to you, and probably every other one you would come across, they are the they are faulty because the creator, designer, manufacturer is taking the total blame for that unit. And uh, you are not at fault. But in this one that I've just read, it didn't work that way because the creator, maker, designer put out the most perfect model you can imagine. Perfect intellect, perfect body. It was to live forever, and it was the most perfect thing you could ever imagine. Well, what happened? The creation made a choice, and that led to being faulty. Now the creator-designer gives the message that all models, regardless of size, color, race, origin, whatever, can be corrected. And I like that story, don't you? This is our fourth message today on the holy way. Some of you have been here for all of them, and some of you, I know, for one reason or another could not, could not to be here. But really what we are dealing with as we think about the holy way is this very thing that we're talking about, the recall notice. The holy way is, is really about the response that you give to the invitation. God says, I am offering a recall to all makes and models, to everyone And the holy way is really your response to the maker. What am I going to say? And it's the maker who says, I not only want to correct this thing, but I want to do it right in every way that it can be made right. That is the holy way. And if you are responding to God in every way that you know to respond, you are traveling on the holy way. And that's what God wants for you. Well, let's stand together as we read from our passage this morning Psalm 51, verses 3 through 12. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is right or done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth Sinful from the time my mother conceived me Surely you desire truth in the inner parts You teach me wisdom in the inmost place Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow Let me hear joy and gladness Let the bones you have crushed rejoice Hide your face from my sins And blot out my iniquity And now my fingers have There we go. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. You may be seated. The holy way deals with two types of sin that that we must really take care of, we must really deal with. First of all, there are the acts of sin we have committed. Now, the author of, of this psalm, Psalm 51, happens to be King David. And uh, we are almost sure that this psalm was written after David's really big meltdown in life in the spiritual way. He basically, uh, David, made the rounds with just about every kind of sin you could you could put in the books when uh, This all came along. So I want to mention basically the four sins he committed. And they were simply this, adultery and stealing and murder and lying. These were the things that were involved when he got involved uh, with Bathsheba. But if I break these down, if I look at the sin of adultery, for instance, adultery is really all about lust and envy and idolatry, relations outside of God's perfect plan, His will for you and your life. That is adultery. That's the area of sin that David committed sin with. When we think of the sin of stealing, it's all about cheating. It might be about manipulating numbers, such as maybe my IRS thing. I may, nobody's going to know about this. I know the books say it's wrong, but I'm going to manipulate numbers a little bit or I'm going to check in at my work at Walmart or wherever, and I'm going to kind of check in a little early, even though I'm not working, and I'm going to manipulate, manipulate things a little bit, or I'm going to take things that more than my share. We're talking about stealing here, and, and David stole the wife of another man, didn't he? Murder is that thing that is, that is really also all wrapped up around hatred and anger and revenge and, Attacking the character of another, it is murder, it is, it is taking something away in, in that manner. And David, of course, was guilty of murder when Uriah was, was killed in battle, as David had all planned out. The fourth sin he was involved in was lying. Of course, he had to tell lie after lie after lie to cover up for the original sin, and sin kind of always does that. And lying is, is simply lying. Lying. But is telling the untruths it's gossip it's slander it's any time you're just not telling the truth period and so concerning all these sins that David got involved in God got his attention one day and David owned up to it all and he finally let God know acknowledged to God yes I am guilty everything that you have brought before me I acknowledge I admit. And he wrote, For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now maybe we haven't sinned to the extent that David did. I mean, David really did go on a rampage. You have to admit that. But we think about all those sins that really David was involved in. And uh, so maybe we haven't, gone to the extent of David's sins, maybe we have exceeded David's sins. But we believe, as we confess those things to God, there is forgiveness and cleansing. We didn't read verses 1 to 3, but let me just kind of give those to you right now. David wrote, Have mercy on on me, O God. According to your compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sins. The acts of sin in our lives, you see, God provides forgiveness and cleansing for them, and he does not hold us guilty over them as we acknowledge them and confess them and repent them and believe on God. But here's the interesting thing. The effects of our sin sometimes live on. Bad choices do bring consequences and results, sometimes. Not always, but sometimes. And they do, and but the interesting thing is that you've got to keep in mind is God does not hold me accountable for the sin. I know the effects are living on, but God does not hold me accountable for the sin. So there's, there's three things that you can do. If the consequences of your sins, the effects of your sins are really hard on you, you have three choices. You can do this, and people have done this. They beat themselves up. They uh, refuse forgiveness and cleansing because they say, I just don't deserve it. And they will not forgive themselves. They will not allow God to forgive themselves. And they go the rest of their life in that mode. I don't know about you, but I don't choose that. The second one is, there are people who actually, they believe that God has forgiven them. They believe that in their mind and heart, but they do not forgive themselves. I do not deserve it, they will say. I do not deserve God's love. I do not deserve it. I'm going to believe He has forgiven me, but I'm not going to live as if I deserve it. And so I'm going to punish myself the rest of my life for those things I have done. There's a third option, though, and that is accept the forgiving and cleansing, believe in it, Worship God, praise God for that, because He wants you to do that. God did not want to send His Son to the cross for nothing, or just for your cleansing. He sent Him to the cross so that you could be free. Didn't Jesus said, I've come, that you might have life and have it to the full? And so, when those effects come up, when the consequences come up, and they can be painful... And Satan wants to take those things and shove them into your face and shove them down your soul. You just turn right around and you shove it right back and say, It is nailed to the cross and I will live on victoriously. I like that choice. In fact, I live with that choice. Because I think probably all of us have some effects and consequences of our choices, our sins in our life. Well, let's go on to the second thing, the state of sin. We've talked about the acts of sin. Let's talk about the state of sin. This is the item that you were born with, as uh, the recall notice I've read to you talks about. You were born with the state of sin. We inherited it. We're not guilty for it because you and I didn't make that choice that brought it on. And that's an important thing to remember. We did not do some act of sin to bring on the state of sin. We inherited it. But it is a problem. And we have a choice regarding it. And David writes about this when he, he says, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time even my mother conceived me. Well, that's a long, long time before David even had a chance to make any moral choices in his life. From conception, he said, I already had this state of sin within me. That's interesting. You need to remember that. It's kind of like this. Let's say that uh, you've inherited a car. You've, you've, you had some really great friends. They were older. Husband and wife both passed on. They had a 2000 um, Lexus. It's a nice car has low miles because they didn't drive it many miles in these last years because they were older and they just didn't drive many miles. It's a low mileage car. It's a 2000. It's a nice car. It's it's in great shape. It's been in their garage. But in their will, they said, uh, give this to so-and-so. Your name is on it. It's on the title. It is yours. It's a beautiful car. There is one defect, though. The brakes have gone out. I don't know if mice have eaten through the lines or what it is, but the brakes absolutely will not work. Now, I suppose you could drive the car if you'd keep it in low gear, if you really watch things and you just, you know, uh, I've known of people who have actually kind of driven without brakes before and, and kind of managed to do it. Not very smart, but you could. But the brakes have gone out, and you're not guilty for that. But you do have a choice, don't you? You could say, well, I think I'll drive that car with the brakes out. And you're going to meet up with trouble. Or you could say, you know, I think I'll get the brakes fixed. It's your choice. It's all up to you. So it is with this state of sin. You are born with the state of sin. You're not guilty because you didn't cause it. It was inherited. Adam and Eve caused it. It was passed down to every generation since then. You're born with it, you're not guilty with it, but are you going to get it fixed? Because the manufacturer, the recall designer, creator says, I have an answer. What will you do? So you must recognize how this sinful condition really is a problem. My uh, junior year of college, I lived with my cousin and his wife. His parents had bought this old house in Olathe. It was an old, old house in the middle of town. It was built in, like, 2007. It was a farmhouse at the time. It was two-story, and, I mean, it it was old in every way, shape, and form. And it had been empty for seven years. The fellow that lived there moved into a nursing home. And and, uh, so in college, part of my work was remodeling that old house and doing it with this cousin of mine, and actually got it to a place where it was livable. So he invited me, he said, John, I don't know what you're going to do next year, your junior year of college, but if you'll pay us $20 a week, we will board you, feed you, and everything, and you can save a whole lot of money on your college bill. Well, I did that. So we moved into the house, or I did, I had a bedroom, they had a bedroom, there was a bathroom, and we were all upstairs, and, the bathroom, this was an old house, and they had this huge bathroom, this huge cast-iron monstrosity of a bathtub. And we all used the bathtub. And uh, there was no shower, just the tub. So we always had to take baths. And, and uh, Connie, bless her heart, was one of these women that liked bubble baths. Some of you women like that. And uh, she did those bubble baths. And, uh, you know, bubble baths, even though you, you take your bath and you let the water out, something remains on the tub, right? Now, I don't know if some of you women, you're really sensitive and you get a sponge out and wipe it all down at that time, but you probably don't, and Connie didn't. Dave and I then went to work one day, and, and I had a job. I was building a fireplace and laying stone, and the mortar in that stone was black. So we had to put this dye in the mortar as we mixed it, and then we laid the stone. And Well, we got mortar dust all over us and all over our face and everything. And, and uh, so we come home, it's at night, and we take our baths. Actually, Dave didn't take a bath for some reason. He either didn't work or I, all I know is I'm the only one that took a bath that night. I get done taking my bath, and guess what? Let's see, if you have a picture of that tub there, Ronnie? I don't know if that shows up. It was worse than that, and it was black. And uh, now, I let the water out, and I rinsed it as good as I could, but it didn't matter. There was a black, black ring in that tub. Well, Connie and I got along pretty good until that night. (laughs) And what's interesting was... We had a little debate. She said, you get up there and you clean that tub. Don't you ever leave that tub that dirty again. I debated my end. I said, Connie, now wait a minute. It wouldn't be dirty like that if that bubble bath scum wouldn't be there. The water would have all drained out nice and clean, but your scum from your bubble baths is what made that black stay on that tub. And we debated that round and round. And, and finally I gave in. I went up and I didn't know how to clean a tub. She went and got me the stuff, the Ajax and the scrub brush and everything. So I cleaned out the tub. We got it clean. Well, do you know what? The state of sin is a scum ring in our heart. No, you're not guilty for it. You inherited it from Adam and Eve. And it keeps you from being pure and white and in all ways that you want to serve God in, as long as that state of sin remains in your being. And uh, God seeks to do that for you in regard to this state of sin you are born with. God seeks to take it away. And David felt the heaviness on his own heart of realizing there's something within my heart. There is something I know is there. I sense it there. And he felt a conviction over this state of sin. And so he writes, surely you desire truth in my inner parts. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. God convicts us, doesn't he? God speaks to us. God brings this stuff to our attention. Why is that? Wouldn't it be because He loves us? He created us. He designed us. He made us. And He's always on the lookout for His children, isn't He? For what is best. What is best. And what is better for us. Doesn't a parent do this for the child? We do it all the time when our children were... We're being raised. We were always looking out, what is going to be the best thing for my child? What can I do for them? And so we point them and we direct them in life for what will be best for them. And, and uh, the Holy Spirit is about doing the same thing for us. Pointing out to us what is going to be the best for us. And so the Holy Spirit seeks to get us to understand there's this scum stain. It's the state of sin and about telling us I don't condemn you for it but I offer you a choice I offer an answer a solution change comes from this let's move on what is the answer what is the solution what is God's prescription well there are two things and David mentions it here first of all we think of a washing now David writes, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know what cleanse means? Here's what it means. And you may want to write this down. When the Bible uses this word cleanse, it means to unsin you. U-n-dash-s-i-n. UN-SIN. Unsin. In other words, when God says, I'm going to cleanse you, God's going to do it in such a way that God does it, and then God says, now I look at you as if you'd never sinned. That's how I regard you. Cleanse. Think of that. Like you'd never been guilty. Hyssop. I don't know if we grow hyssop here in America. We probably do, but it was a plant of Palestine. It was the very plant that God... Clear back at the very Passover lamb when he said, sprinkle the blood on the doorpost and the lintel of the house. Take a hyssop plant, dip it in the blood, and with that plant, sprinkle the blood all over the doorpost. And then he said, the angel of death will pass over you, and God will not come down on you and take your life. So here it is. The hyssop is being used to show that it is the blood of Christ, the Passover lamb that cleanses you from the state of sin. Now, change also comes from a washing. David wrote, wash me. You know, there's two kinds of washing here also that could be referred to. The first kind of washing is is as simple as this. You drink this morning a, a glass of milk. And to save glasses, now you want your orange juice. You're not going to pour your orange juice in that glass that's got milk in it. At least I hope you won't. You're going to rinse it out, aren't you? So you put it under the water faucet, you pour it out, and two or three times like that, that cup is clean. But you never had to put soap in there. You never had to put a washcloth in there. It just washed out with rinsing it, washing it. You can wash something that way. But David was more specifically talking about another kind of washing when he says wash me. The other kind is to beat it out. And the Israelites would do that when they washed their clothes. Take it down to the river, put it on a rock, and beat out the stains. To thoroughly cleanse it. Because it needed that. And that is what the Bible is referring to. This state of sin, this scum of stain in our heart, this state of sin. It's not that God's just going to beat the living daylights out of you. It means that it is such a deep stain that God has to wash it in the severest way that he can because he wants to get you clean. You can't just quickly rinse it and that's done with. It's a serious thing. Now, change comes from a new creation that God makes of you. In verse 10, David writes a prayer, and he writes, Create in me a pure heart, O God. Now, if you were here last week, let's, let's go back a little bit. Remember Genesis 1.1? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember that word we looked at, create, came from the Hebrew word B-A-R-A, bara? And that word means that God when he created things in the very beginning, there was nothing out there. And it means that God took nothing and made everything. We can't, it, it astounds us. We don't understand it. it. It defies logic. How can you take nothing and make something out of it? But that's what the Bible said. The word is Barah. It means that. Do you know what in this verse where David said, create in me a clean heart. It is the exact same Hebrew word. Barah. What is God saying? It is saying here that God creates in you something quite new. It never existed in you before. It wasn't there. It is something that was never in you at all. It's something that you can't say, okay, I've lost it and I'll retrieve it and I'll fix it myself. You can't. It never was a part of you to begin with. You didn't have it at birth. You were born in the state of sin, but God loves us too much to leave us there. He supplies the remedy, and so he comes in, and God does the Barah thing. He creates in us something that was never there to begin with, but he does it, creating me a clean heart. If you inherited that car, what would you do? Would you drive with faulty brakes? I don't think you would. You'd get them fixed. You must come to see the state of sin you were born with in that same way. Let the Holy Spirit get your attention. Come to the place where you say, I do not want to live with this. Deplore it. Confess it. Not that you are guilty of it, but you're confessing it in that you're acknowledging it. And then cry out to God for a change, for a cleansing. Because you've gotten the attention of God when you've gotten into that frame of mind and heart. God, I don't want to live with this. God, I recognize it and I see it's there and I know it's there. But create in me this clean heart. But let's move on here. Change leads to and results in something. If, if we're doing all of this, and now God does the cleansing, what happens? Here it is. First of all, God gives us a pure heart. David writes, wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. You know, farmers love the winter snow. They like it more than the rain. The wheat farmers they love to see that snow come out and three or four inches just lay on the wheat. There's a reason for that. Because there's nothing like snow in the, in the water department. It is, it is totally uncontaminated. It doesn't have all that junk you and I are drinking when we drink out of the tap. It's got, you know, a special uh, 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 nutrients in it. It's got that... Um, Oh, all I know is it comes down and it picks up. Is it nitrogen, Doug? Is that what it picks up? Nitrogen. And it lays on the wheat, and the farmer says, There is nothing better for my wheat in the winter than that snow. Isn't it interesting, don't you think, that David put it this way? Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Wash me, Father. Take this state of sin away. Take this scum that I sense that that I'm really being convicted of, that that I was born with. And my life will be like the farm with the snow. Blessed, growing, healthy, vibrant. God does that. He also talks about a steadfast and willing spirit. David was saying, if I could somehow be rid of this state of sin... I just know I could follow God better. I just know I could serve Him more faithfully. I just know that my relationship with Him would take on a brand new feel and look. Wash me, and I'll be steadfast, and I'll have a willing spirit. And then he talks about, finally, a newfound joy. Failure is hard to deal with, isn't it? No matter what it is in life that is failure, I don't like it. But you know, especially when we fail spiritually, it doesn't feel good. But David is saying, I have found a newfound joy resulting from living a more successful spiritual life. You see, David has poured out his heart to God over his sins. The state of sin also. He wants to live the holy way. And now he's found the help that he's always been looking for. Change for the state of sin. I don't like a dirty tub. I cannot blame Connie for being upset. It was really her fault. But, <laughs> but I neither one of us nor her husband wanted to get back in that tub and take another bath. till it got clean. That's the heart. When God begins to speak to your heart and, and you begin to recognize that, don't push away from it. Say, God, I don't like what I see, but I want to take care of it. Lead me to your answer. Draw me to your answer. Let me experience your answer. And therein lies the thing that you've been looking for. Do you know how the fourth beatitude reads? It says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. If God convicts us, and He shows us the uncleanness, and He draws us to the cleanness, and we thirst after it, and we walk after it, and we're searching for it, the beatitude says, those that hunger and thirst for that very thing will be filled. Will you bow your heads? Lord, we know the disciples were brought to this point as you lived with them three years. You ministered with them. You showed them your miracles. You taught them many things. You spent that last night in the upper room. You went out to the Garden of Olives and then you were crucified and resurrected. And for 40 days, every now and then, you would appear and they would see you, but... That final time when you were on this earth, you gave them instructions to go and pray. And for ten days they prayed. They searched out their hearts. They opened themselves up. They became like a, a slide under the microscope to God, and they said, search us out and look us over. And you did that. And then came that day, the day of Pentecost, And the Holy Spirit came down upon them and they experienced the answer to the state of sin. And you came. And the scum of their heart was cleansed and they were washed and they were freed. And Lord, if you're speaking to our hearts about this very thing, may we not back away from it. But may we, like the disciples, tarry in an upper room or wherever it might be, forever for whatever number of days it may take to come to experience your answer. Speak to our hearts right now. We pray in your name. Amen.